The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm this this uh, show's engineer and sometimes co-host with Mari. If you don't know our host, Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. Uh, with the C with the CD and forward by Diane Feinstein, she sits as an, an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, and ABC News, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows. In fact, you can watch her on NBC in LA on February 7th on the news at 11 o'clock, is that p.m.? P.m. P.m., mm-hmm. and online, so I think that's Channel 4. She's had her own 90-minute PBS TV special, which aired again this year, Protecting <coughs> Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash piracy, privacy piracy. You can't even say it. How can they say it? I don't know. It's a tongue twister. I it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, good evening, Mari. Hello there, Lloyd. Thanks for being my engineer tonight. We have a terrific guest. Um, this woman that we're going to be interviewing is someone who I have been corresponding with for a long time on the Internet, and uh, finally I got to see her picture when she sent it to me, So, and we never got to meet. But I'm, I'm thrilled that she's joining us, and I can't wait to meet her in person. Her name is Susana Montezemolo, and she is a policy analyst with Consumers Union in the Washington, D.C. office that they have there. And she's joining us tonight all the way three hours later at night, stayed at late uh, at work. Uh, Susana works closely with members of Congress and federal agencies to shape policy on a lot of different issues such as financial services, privacy, identity theft, uh, product safety, and food safety. And she returned to uh, Consumers Union as a policy analyst in July of 2004. She had previously served a one-year stint as the Washington Officer's Esther Peterson Fellow in 2001 and 2002. And before that, she had a great experience in government. She had a decade of experience working as an advocate and analyst in Washington, D.C., prior to coming to Consumers Union. She worked as a program uh, examiner in the Commerce Branch of the Office of, Office of Management and Budget, uh, where she oversaw several economic development agencies and federal government. And even prior to that, she was a policy analyst in Policy Development Division of the United States Department of Housing and Urban Af- Development, where she analyzed the impact of affordable housing. And she's also worked for the Center on Law and po- Social Policy, 
the antitrust division of the Justice Department and the Association of Trial Lawyers of America. So she has done a lot of different things dealing with policy issues. And she has a double master's degree uh, from Princeton, and one is in public affairs and the other is in urban and regional planning. So she's she's written a lot. She's done a lot in Congress. So we are so fortunate to have her joining us. All the way from Washington. Are you there? I am there. Thanks for the uh, very kind introduction, Mari. Well, you deserve even more. Thank you, Susanna, and thanks so much for staying late at work to join us. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, great. And I hope a lot of people hear this because I know we're going to be talking about some very important things that are coming up right now in Congress. Yes. You know, Susanna, we've been uh, talking a lot on this show about identity theft and security breaches, but we really haven't had the opportunity to speak about what's happening with regard to Congress and and what Congress is doing to protect Americans. So um, let's talk a little bit, first of all, about what Consumer Union does to protect consumers with regard to identity theft and privacy issues. Well, Consumers Union is best known as the publisher of Consumer Reports, and that is what uh, most of our employees work on. But here in the Washington office, we focus on protecting consumers through other means, not just uh, informing them about products, but informing consumers about their rights. And then uh, what we're really focused on is advocating before Congress and the federal agencies to give consumers as many rights as they can possibly get. So uh, we kind of do two things. The first is to inform consumers. We have a website called financialprivacynow.org, and that website has a lot of information on ways that individual consumers can try to um, prevent becoming victims of identity theft, because there are things all of us can do. For example, things like uh, shredding bills that come in, making sure we're not carrying our Social Security card on us, um, opting out of pre-approved credit card offers by calling 888-5-OPT-OUT. There are all these things that we can do. However, what we all know here in Washington is that even consumers who do everything right, who are doing everything we say, can still fall victim to identity theft. And that's what we're really focusing on here in Washington is trying to make sure that uh, the, the consumers who are scrupulous and are doing everything right don't fall victim. Um, what we're seeing now, we've had so many of these breaches of Social Security numbers and other really vital pieces of information in the past year or so. And uh, we're seeing Congress is starting to respond. So we work very closely with members of Congress and also um, with legislators in the states to try to get laws that are as protective of consumers as possible. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the recent federal laws that have passed, and I know you've been involved in them, so people have an understanding of the evolution of privacy and and identity theft statutes. Back in 1999, Congress passed the... um, Financial Modernization Act that, you know, we all know about the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. Right. And that, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what that was. Uh, I remember I, I actually spoke at the White House and was trying to get them to allow, um, uh, to make companies uh, get our permission first before they disclosed anything or right. sold anything. But, of course, no one listened to me because who am I? But, anyway, let's talk a little bit about what that law was sure. and, and, you know, Tell us what the safeguards rule is and about our rights and what rights we don't have. Well, uh, GLBA, which is what we all call it in Washington because it is a very arcane-sounding, and it is a very arcane law, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, um, was enacted in 1999. And just to give a little bit of background, the reason it was enacted is that 
uh, banks wanted to be able to merge with different types of financial institutions. For example, uh, in the past, after, um, after the Great Depression, there were so many financial problems that the U.S. policy was banks can only merge with banks. Banks can't merge with other types of financial institutions, for example, uh, mortgage broker, brokerage firms um, and, and other institutions. The GLBA was intended to allow banks to merge with all these other kinds of financial institutions. The problem with that is that if banks and other huge financial institutions merge, you have these mega companies, as we know that exist today, that are selling not, on, you know, not only products through the bank, but they're trying to sell you insurance and they're trying to sell you brokerage, for, uh, brokerage services and everything else. And as a result of that, there's so much information in all of these different areas that one single financial institution could have a whole wide array of information on us, including all of our insurance claims and all of our financial institutions, our balance checks, everything that's going on in our financial lives. So the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act also included some, um, well, I, I would say so-called consumer protections because, as you alluded to, Mari, when you were asking the question, there weren't nearly enough from our perspective. But one of them um, is called the Safeguards Rule, and you, you talked about that a little bit. Um, and the Safeguards Rule says that these financial institutions have to have policies in place to protect our personal information. The problem with the safeguards rule is that it doesn't actually say that they have to have strong policies to really protect our personal information. They just have to have a policy in place. So, so that, from our perspective, is not strong enough. Second uh, consumer protection piece was that uh, financial institutions now have to disclose their privacy policies to us. So uh, if you go online and you're doing some online banking, your bank has to have on the site and has to have you check off a box that you have um, read it, their privacy policy. The problem with that is that um, often the privacy policies are written in such a lawyerly way that even a lawyer has trouble understanding what it really means and how that information is used. So it's, it's not in uh, lay terms in a way that the average person can really understand what kind of information is being collected and how that information is used and finally what their right to not have that information shared is. Um, and finally, the GLBA had um, a provision that allows all of us to opt out of information that is sold to other companies. And this is kind of a, 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 it sounds very arcane, but essentially what it means is that if I'm doing business with a bank, uh, they're always going to be able to share my information with the companies that they own or they're affiliated with. And right. as we now know, through, there are some really huge companies that have a lot of affiliates. But if I, they have to give me a notice that lets me decide I don't want them to share my information with the uh, companies they're not affiliated with. Because right now, our information is so valuable that it's being sold to third parties that have nothing to do with the financial institutions. So that's also a pretty limited right. First of all, as we know nowadays when we have these huge financial institutions, you know, the the the, there are a lot of affiliates, so there's a lot of sharing of information among these affiliates. On top of that, 
like you were saying before, we shouldn't have to opt out of this. We shouldn't have to take our energy and use our resources to have to tell the financial institutions, don't sell my information. They should automatically do that unless we give them the permission to use our information. And, and that's a fundamental problem with the law. Right, right. You know, I, I, I wonder if people understand really some of the ramifications of it. Like, is it really crazy to think that perhaps a bank that was maybe affiliated with a big insurance company uh, might find out that you have some disability or some illness and then perhaps have that be known when you're trying to apply for a new loan or a mortgage? Oh, it's that's absolutely possible, and, 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 and that happens because, uh, you know, insurers are not now just in the insurance business. They're owned by larger companies that are also in the banking industry. So I think that's one of the concerns that people need to think about. They might be saying, well, so what if they share with their affiliates? Well, it, it, it could be something that could hurt us. Now, if there was, um, for example, if we asked to opt out of selling to a third party uh-huh. or sharing with a third party, and then we found out that they did, and because of it, let's say we became the victim of identity theft or had some other privacy invasion that, that had damages, what about the rule may we have a private right of action under Graham Leach Bliley? Is there any right to sue? No, and that's, uh, you know, especially in this political environment, there isn't. Um, and the enforcement that happens under under these laws is by the federal regulators. So it's not like I, if you, Mari, have been hurt by this, you can't then go and hold that company personally accountable. You are relying on the, the federal regulator to then take action. Right, and they can't represent me as an individual. They can only say, well, gee, if we've had a, a bunch of, you know, consumers that have, uh, you know, complained to the, you know, uh, Federal Trade Commission or some other federal regulator that only the Federal Trade Commission can go and take some action against them, but, but not individually on my part. Not individually on your part, and it's dependent on the F. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, then having the resources and the expertise to be able to go and bring an action, which, you know, often nowadays they don't. They're just, it's an under-resourced agency. Right. I mean, they don't have the money. I've talked to the Federal Trade Commission and their identity theft program, and I've said, gee, why don't you, you know, expand and put all the laws, the civil laws, besides the criminal laws? And the answer I've gotten is, you know, we just don't have the money to do this. So how are they going to have the money to take on some of these cases, which is the reality? There's another issue with regard to you, there's no private right of action, and then also is it, there's some federal preemption also in Gramm-Leach-Bliley, isn't there? Yeah, actually, Gramm-Leach-Bliley isn't so much the problem in terms of federal preemption, and for, for listeners, preemption is just a fancy way of saying that the federal government institutes standards and overturns state laws. What we find with a whole wide range of consumer laws, including identity theft, is that the states go a lot further to protecting consumers than the federal government does. So if the federal government acts and wipes out state laws, sometimes we're all worse off. Um, the, The real problem with it is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is kind of goes along with the GLBA in terms of uh, in, in terms of uh, regulating what kind of information can be shared. And that act does have quite a bit of federal preemption in it. In fact, uh, I know you all are out in California, Mari, and you had a wonderful bill, SB1, 
that went further than federal law and had part of it overturned because of the preemption issues. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because I think some people don't recognize that we are so lucky to be in California. I think there's so only, lucky. Yeah, you know, but of course they want to overrule all of our, you know, they want to preempt or get rid of all of our That's state laws true, and, yeah. and just make it all uh, federal law. They don't like us out there. But anyway, um, with regard to Jackie Spears' law, and we've had Jackie on this show, which oh, is great. great. Yeah, and I'd love to have her again. She's, she She's actually wonderful. is not going to be in, in our legislature anymore because she there's term limits here. Oh. So she's going to run for, I think it's, uh, I, want, I don't want to, is it a lieutenant governor or something? or I forgot what it so is. So for a higher office, though. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I hope that she gets a good chance at it, too. But anyway, um, Jackie's bill was introduced to say that um, – that if a company wanted to sell your information or share it with others, okay, with third parties, that they would have to get prior permission, which is the opposite of what you were talking about with the federal law, Gramm-Leach-Bliley. The second part of the bill was saying that if you wanted to opt out of having your information shared with affiliates, that you could. Right. What what ended up happening in the federal courts is they overruled basically in uh, the second part of it and said that federal law overruled and that you could make a company give you um, permission. You should you could make it that a company would have to get your prior permission before selling to third parties, but you had no right at all to opt out of sharing with affiliates, which. Like you said, there are so many major, huge, humongous companies like Sendent that owns, you know, myriad companies and General Uh Electric um, that you don't have any right. Gigantic, yeah, yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's that's ultimately the problem with uh, federal law. If the federal law sets a minimum standard and allows states like California to go further, then it can be very effective because it sets the minimum standard. We're all protected by that minimum standard. But those of us who live in states that are more protective still get those additional protections. Right. Uh, the problem is that with consumer law, especially we more and more we're seeing that the federal law just wipes out the state law completely. Yeah, and you know I'm, I'm I guess I'm na- I'm politically naive, but you know I really thought that, uh, for example, this administration has been pushing for preemption quite a bit in a lot of our laws, but. I, I really thought that, that the Republican Party was much more for state rights, so I'm, I'm finding this kind of a little bit incongruent. I, I just uh, don't quite get it. But uh, Yeah, I think it's hard for a lot of us to really understand. Um, but, you know, I think what we're seeing here in Washington is that it's more than a state's rights um, versus federal issue. It's becoming more of a big business versus the average Joe and not average Jane issue that those of us that are trying to protect the individual interests um, and making sure that each one of us has these rights are facing these mammoth companies and uh, that, that Washington is really about uh, right now trying to protect each of us individually versus trying to um, go for the interests of the large companies. And, and I think that gets back to these lobbyists. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the whole issue is that the lobbyists 
have a lot of money, a lot more money than Consumers Union oh, or, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. the nonprofits, right? I mean, they're... It's, it, and it's, it's completely uneven. I, you know, I was actually talking recently to a friend of mine who works in Capitol Hill, and she said, well, I learn a lot in all of these trips that I go on. And I said, yeah, but you never go on trips to visit us at Consumers Union. You never go out to California and find out what they're doing there. You know, you're, you're limiting your trips to just the big companies that can afford to send you there. And that's just inherently unfair. I know. It, it is uh, really unfortunate because when even when I testify in Congress, I find that, you know, I might be the one consumer advocate on the panel and everybody else's industry. Oh, that's definitely true. I mean, we are th- that is true over and over again on a vast array of issues. It's not just identity theft, and it's really right. too bad because it means that uh, we're not hearing the whole story, and Congress isn't hearing the whole story, and they're basing their policy decisions on uh, mainly what uh, industry is saying. And and that's one of the reasons why I have this radio show. Although I don't know how how much uh, you know, we're not syndicated yet. But that's the point. But you're in the of, podcasting world now. That's I'm right. That's, sign up from your podcast, by the way. That, oh, that's great. I know. Uh, we were so excited because Chris Hoofnigel was oh. one of the first ones to sign up, and he is he was on our show, and he's with Epic, the yeah. Electronic Privacy that's Information Center. Yeah, he's great. So you know, it's just really wonderful to to have all you people on here, and we will get the word out. And and I'm thrilled when the media brings up these things because I don't think we would have even gotten the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act unless we had all this information going out in the media about identity theft, which leads me to the next question, which is, okay, let's talk a little bit about what happened with the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act. And there were some, you know, with all the stuff in the news about identity theft, I think that they um, that Congress was inundated and they had to do something, even though industry really didn't want them to do anything. Oh, yes, yes. And that's actually, that points to a more important issue, which is that when enough individuals get together and pressure Congress, we really do have a voice. That, that when there's a lot of media stories, when people are calling their members of Congress, emailing, writing letters, they actually sometimes do things that are good for the public interest, even in this environment, which is frankly, a very pro-business environment. So, um, you know, that's a very good point. And, and I want to just remind my my listeners, if anybody just came in, that we are talking to Susana Montezemelo, who is the policy analyst for and legislative representative for Consumers Union in Washington, D.C. And um, we want to give your website also because it's very important. One of the things, I signed up for your email there, so I get oh, the good. email from Consumers Union. So you might want to go to consumersunion.org and uh, find, what is it, financialprivacy.org as well? Yeah, it's actually financialprivacynow.org. I'm so, sorry. Yeah, yes, so consumersunion.org has information on all of the issues we work on, which are very broad. And then financialprivacynow.org has, uh, is a site that's, dedicated to our financial privacy work. Right. I think you should sign up for, you know, uh, you know, go and visit both websites and sign up for the email and then find out. I get an email. I don't know how often I get it, but every time I do, I pull up and I say, what are the issues that I'm really concerned about? And there's a great way to, you know, actually send letters to your congressperson right, right through Consumers Union, which I have done on several occasions. Well, we so. appreciate that. And, it, and that, that is very important because ultimately members of Congress listen to their constituents because you're the ones who vote them in and out. 
And, uh, and so we find that helping people write to their members of Congress and their senators is a very effective way of making sure we're heard as well as the big business. And, and what's great about it is you just send the email and you don't have to put a postage on it and right. it's sent there and you know it's done and you know what to say and it's helpful. And, and I think you're right. We, we must have a united voice to say because we're lost in the shuffle, basically. Oh, that's absolutely true. And I think one of the reasons for that is that businesses know what their interests are. You know, it's very clear to them and they pay lobbyists and they have trips and they, have, they give money to candidates and they do all this stuff. Individually, people a lot of times don't understand how all of these federal laws and, and state laws as well are affecting them. So it's harder for individuals to get involved. And that's one of our challenges as a public interest group is to get individuals engaged. Right, right. Well, I think you're, you're doing a great job, Susan. I'm just, I'm just in awe of all the great work that you do. Thank you. So let's go back to the Fair and, uh, and Accurate Credit Transactions Act, and, and some people will know somewhat of what it done because it does because now everybody should know that you can get your free credit report from each of the major credit reporting mm -hmm. agencies once a year, and you can go eight. Uh, you can go to um, annualcreditreport.com. But there's a lot of other issues that came up. So can you kind of share with us the good stuff and the bad? Yeah, well, I, I, not to dwell on the negative, but the bad basically goes, again, to the issue of federal preemption and what states are allowed to do. Uh, there were some um, amendments that were passed in the 90s to the FAFT Act, uh, right. which is the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act, um, that had some preemption of the state laws, but that preemption was temporary. When we saw um, the 2003 changes come in, which established our right to this uh, free credit report, uh, those temporary uh, preemption provisions were made permanent. So basically what that says is that, again, the federal government's um, policies uh, are, are the law, and it wipes out the state, state governments that um, go further in those areas. Um, but you're right, though, that the, 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 the amendments also included the more recent ones, some important rights, and you've mentioned the most important one, which is that we all get the ability to um, to get from each of the credit reporting agencies a free credit report each year. And that's really important, and we hope that more people will take advantage of that. Right, because if you are monitoring what's going on, you have early intervention, and you can, even if you do become a victim, you can hopefully end it sooner and, and have less of a loss. Right. But one of the one of the major issues that I found a, a problem with with the uh, with FACTA, which became uh, actually part of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, is that if, for example, a a creditor, you know, a, a, uh -huh. a credit card company, issues a new credit card to a fraudster, uh -huh. okay, and you've had a fraud alert on your credit report, you can't sue them. Right. So there are there's no private right of action for most right. of the new provisions that are in the credit reporting, uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act. And another one that really bothered me is if you are – this was a preemption of California law, by the way. In California, we had a law that if you were a victim of identity theft and you got a police report mm -hmm. and you wrote to the credit card company that issued the, a fraud account to a fraudster, you could ask that company – to send you within 10 days all documentation of that fraudulent account, including the application, videos, whatever, uh -huh. and also send it to your 
uh, law enforcement agency that you reported to, okay, your detective, right. and you would get it within 10 days. They couldn't charge you. And if they didn't actually comply, you could sue them. Yeah. Federal and preemption changed right. the watered it, it down. That out. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, it watered it down and it said, okay, if you get a police report and you write to a company and tell them, hey, give me some information, you're you're limited in what you can get. Right. And if they refuse to give it to you because they say that they think it's overburdened or whatever, you can't sue them. Right. And that, that's exactly the problem is that. A lot of times with these federal laws, even if you had the ideal law, which clearly these laws are not ideal, you know, you can't enforce them properly. And the private right of action is um, is a way that each of us individually could enforce it. And also what we're now starting to really fight for on the federal level is even getting state attorneys general to be able to bring action. Right, that, because, that's a fight right now. Right, because even that was precluded in that it was only the federal agencies, and the federal agencies could only represent, you know, um, a group, not individual. I mean, only on right. behalf of, you know, the, the federal the government. Right. Yeah, so, right. so that was a real problem. But, I mean, there were some things that, like, for example, it requires that, um, you know, all companies shred sensitive information from credit reports and, and, you know, information that comes from a credit report. So mm-hmm. there were some little glimmers of hope there. But and the other thing it established was fraud alerts that you could, if you um, believe you're a victim of identity theft and establish a fraud alert with one company, it's automatically established with all three of the credit reports. Yeah, but agencies. that's not really working from 100%. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. well, that's helpful information to yeah, have. Yeah, it's not really working 100%, so I still tell people, look, call all three. Now, what's, what it took away from us was this. Before FACTA passed, uh, you could still put a, a fraud alert on your credit report. So if you had to call all three, big deal, because you still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you weren't a victim, you could put a fraud alert on your credit report. Now, you can if you call the fraud uh telephone number, the toll-free number for the three credit reporting agencies, you can put a fraud alert and they'll only keep it on for 90 days. Right, and you only get the full fraud alert, the seven-year fraud alert, if you have a police report. Right, and if you're not a victim, if you aren't, if you can't prove yourself a victim with a with a police report, mm-hmm. then you cannot go more than thir- 90 days. You can't get it, so you have to keep calling. And you have to keep calling. And <laughs> in fact, we have someone in our office who um, had her social security card stolen, and you know, I tell her every 90 days, put a reminder on your computer. You know, at, at 88 days to call them because it will be taken off. Right. And it's a it's an unfair burden on uh, on the victim. Yeah, and it's an unfair burden on consumers. I get emails all the time, Mari. I'm concerned about identity theft. Can I please put a fraud alert on? And I just tell them, do it every 90 days and, you know, call your legislator or go to Consumers Union. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, one one issue that you guys, again, in California, you're so lucky, even with all these laws that have been preempted relative to those of us in other parts of the country that don't have them, but you also have the ability to put a security freeze on your credit report, which is such an important right. And I don't know how much you guys have talked about that on this show before. We did a little, and I, would you believe, I, most people don't know this, but I had, in 1998, I actually was the first one to recommend a security freeze. I didn't call it that. I said a lock, and, and that's when I appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee in, in our California uh, legislature. 
And that was because I could not, you know, I don't know, I think you know, Susanna, that I was a victim of identity yeah. theft myself, and I could not get creditors to stop issuing new credit with my fraud alert on my credit report. So I spoke with people like an Experian and Equifax, and then I, I actually wrote a letter, and I said, I think we need to, the only way I can think of to stop this is to actually let me get a password to um, implement, right. to, to, to allow my credit report to be released when I want to apply for credit, and when I don't want to apply for credit, that you just don't do it until right. I give you that password. Right. And that's basically what ended up happening. And what the freeze is, it says that in California, if you're a victim, you can get a security freeze for free. Yeah. And and you can ask the credit, credit reporting agencies not to release your credit report to anyone unless you give your password. And then it takes like three days to, to unfreeze it. Right. And right. then if... And if you're a non-victim, if you're a consumer and you just want to put up the barriers, it, it costs you like $10 to do it and $10 to unfreeze. So that's like 30 and, and 30 well worth the money. Exactly. You know, it is money well spent. And it's interesting because some of the, a, a lot of other states, as per usual, have followed in California's steps, and we now have 12 states with security freezes, which is great. In New Jersey, they actually have a provision in the law that as the technology becomes available, Eventually, you're going to be able to do to freeze and unfreeze your file in 15-minute intervals, That's which great. will make it that much more convenient for for all of us. Right. Um, so if you want to go and buy a car on Sunday, you see this great deal. You could actually do it. Right. Whereas now you would have to temporarily unfreeze your account, and that would take a couple of days to do. Right. Which, like you were just saying. Yeah. So you know, I think it's really important to talk about the security freeze because. Aren't the feds now even um, trying to pass a security freeze? Aren't isn't there? There's bills now that um, would allow us to have a national security freeze law, right? Right, and and in fact, there are bills on all in all of these areas related to identity theft in terms of when you're going to be notified. Uh, what companies have to do to protect your personal information, how to regulate these companies that are now called information brokers that are completely unregulated companies like ChoicePoint, having uh, the ability to place a security freeze on your file. And the one thing all of these laws have, or these proposed bills, I should say, yeah. have in common is that they would all preempt state laws. And all degrees. of them, right, and all of them say that you can't sue, too, right? Except for maybe, I think, Bill Nelson's bill. Yeah, there are, there are some bills that, um, that give you a private right of action, and, um, and there, but, but those bills haven't moved anywhere right now. You know, they're, they're, that just isn't. That is unlikely to be a part of the of the federal law, given the makeup of this Congress. But on top of that, we're fighting right now just to get the state attorneys general to be able to enforce uh, the laws, and and you know that that's an uphill battle right now. So it's 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 a pretty grim picture. But I think the good news is that Congress could decide to do the right thing. They could follow the California model and give us all the right to. Uh, to, to place a security freeze at no cost if you're a victim and at a $10 cost if you're a non-victim. So right. it, it's out there. We're just not – there's so much involved right now that it's not clear what Congress will do. Well, let's talk a little bit about the security breaches because last year was, you know, 2005 was the year of the breach. You know, yeah. we, you know we had like, what, 60 million people. Right. That was, and, and there's other – me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you were too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and my brother-in-law just had called me uh, two weeks ago because he, he he got one from Atlantis when he and my sister several years ago were in Atlantis, um, you know, and that's also a gambling 
there so they get right. your, your uh, not only your social security number but your account numbers. Oh. And so he just um, found out, and he actually became a victim immediately. So, of course, luckily he's oh. got his uh, sister-in-law who could send him the book and all the letters. Right, so, right. So he's luckier than most. But, yeah, it was the year of the breach, and there were also many breaches that were not even in the papers that I know about. Oh, yeah, so, you know, and that's it. You know, when you think about what we know, you kind of wonder what don't we know, and that's what's really scary. That is terrifying. So let's talk a little bit because I think right now in the legislature they're going to be going hat and heavy about security breaches. Be- mm-hmm. and, and let me just explain t- to the audience a little bit about what the security breach law is in California, and then you could talk about, like, what is the difference in these uh, federal bills that are sure. scary, okay? In California, we passed a law that became effective in July of 2003 that basically said if you're a company or a governmental ent- entity and you had electronic information that was acquired by an unauthorized person and it was unencrypted, then you had a duty to notify all potential uh, victims of this, okay? So the the major issue was if it's a very sensitive information, including a Social Security number, and if it was an electronic file or had been an electronic file, and then it was unencrypted. So we gave the, the loophole was if you encrypt your files, you don't have to disclose anything. Okay, so that one started this huge, um, like, flood of of everybody having to disclose security breaches, starting with Choice Point. Uh-huh. So let's bring it up to date. So everybody, that's why people have been getting these, you know, security notices, and they've seen it in the... That's uh, why we know. That's why we know about all of this. And I would personally like to thank the state of California for enacting that law, because if if you all hadn't done that... We wouldn't know, and this would still be happening. We just wouldn't know about it. Uh, so it's that was a that was a landmark law that was extremely important. You know, Susanna, when I testified in Congress um, in May of 2005, I testified with Choice Point, Lexus, Nexus, and Axiom. I remember that. And, and um, they admitted to um, Senator Nelson that in 2002, before our bill became effective, they, that they all had security breaches. And just didn't tell us And about didn't them. tell anybody. Right. So right. that's why we know for sure that this isn't just a new thing. Suddenly in 2004 and 2005, we're suddenly having security breaches. No, they had them in 2002, and they just weren't revealing them. And that highlights a very important point, that if we allow the companies to decide whether or not we're at risk or whether or not they want to inform us, they're not going to because it's not in their business interest. Exactly. And that's actually a key difference. You know, you had asked between what the federal laws are looking at uh, or I should say the federal proposed bills are looking like versus what the California law and other state laws are, a key difference is that in many of the bills, not every bill, but many of them, they, uh, they actually allow the, um, the company that has experienced the breach, the company that did not safeguard our information to decide whether we as individuals are at risk for identity theft. And, you know, th- that just that, that is completely unacceptable, right? Because they're the ones that have, you know, they're the ones that are causing all the problems. They have an incentive not to protect us, and yet they're getting to decide whether we're at risk. Yeah, they say how they testify in Bank of America. Had I heard them say this, and, and it's in their written testimony as well as their oral testimony that, well, they are in the best position to know whether or not there is a reasonable risk of harm or, or of identity theft. Yet a brand-new Javelin study, which um, comes out, that just came out, mm-hmm. um, will show the, the country that, indeed, that 
the individual victim is the one who, you know, the majority of the time tells the company. They are the ones that find out and tell the company that right. they're the victim. And that's obviously what happens all, almost 100% of the time. The only time it's the company that tells you is when it gets to collection or when you're trying to buy something in, in uh, like a car and they say you couldn't buy a dog because you're, you're, you've got so much uh, terrible stuff on your credit report and it's really fraudulent. Right. So I think that's right. a really, really important point that it is the victim who usually finds out. And, right. and, and in fact, Citibank, which, by the way, uh, you know, had a huge breach involving millions of unencrypted Social Security numbers, claimed that uh, no one was at risk for identity theft, which is an absolutely ludicrous assertion. Uh, because we know that the Social Security number is the key to the kingdom of identity theft. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, it's like the, the master key that opens every door. Exactly, exactly. So when when they say that we, that we, the companies, are in the best position to um, know whether there is a reasonable risk of harm, it's like, what is this, the fox minding the hen house or something, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, and you know, in D.C. we're hearing all about conflicts of interest right now between lobbyists and members of Congress. Well, that's a clear conflict of interest. You know, what is, what is the company going to do? Well, the company is going to protect its interests, not, not what's going on for consumers. So it's a real problem. It's something that we have fought very hard on Capitol Hill over. There are some good bills out there, but, you know, to be honest, I think that we're just you know, if Congress acts, they're going to act with a certain amount of, of a risk assessment. The question is how much will they, they be. The, the, the bills that have a more acceptable level, it's still, not, it's still not, uh, not perfect by any means, at least make the company go through a study, write down the results of that study, and show that there is no reasonable risk of identity theft, and then submit that to a federal agency. So now, how long that. would that take, though, Susanna? You know, I mean, yeah. that, we're talking about, at least in our bill, and I should go back to the California bill, you could not delay unless, okay, there was, a, unless law enforcement asked you to delay right. because they want to do a sting. Otherwise, you, could ha you had to have enough time to do a, quote, reasonable investigation, Mm -hmm. But the reasonable investigation would be, you know, to find out what really happened. But you couldn't wait. Reasonable would be maybe 30 days, 60 days, something like right. that. It, it, you know, it couldn't be really a long time. That was the whole question with Choice Point. Uh, right. They knew, like, what, in, in September, I think, and then they didn't reveal until February. And it yeah. was, it and was they, Valentine's Day last year, yeah. Right, and I think they said that it was law enforcement, but I know from insiders that it was law enforcement was telling them they had to do it. Right, right. So, well, the, it depends. on the, In the federal level, we just don't know what's going to come out. Right now we're seeing approximately 45 days um, as the amount of time. But, you know, you're right in the sense that you need to get this information as soon as possible if you're a potential victim because if you hear about it right away, then you can go and use the resources that you have to prevent becoming a victim. For example, if you live in California, right. you might place a security freeze on your credit file or at the very least put a fraud alert. Right. Uh, so, so it is. Time is of the essence with these, um, with, with with learning about the breaches. Well, let me ask you something. So, so here we are, you know, in California, and let's say people are getting riled up hearing about this, and they want to do something. So, what what is it that Consumers Union is recommending for uh, what we should ask for in a security breach law at the federal level? 
Well, all of this is on our website, which is financialprivacynow.org, where you can actually directly from that website email your member of Congress and your senators on this important issue. But um, essentially what we want to make sure is that consumers, first of all, are notified whenever their personal information has been breached. And we're talking about information that is you know, essential. It's essentially in this information world who we are. It's our social security number, our date of birth. This is information that is very valuable to identity thieves. Um, secondly, we want to make sure that um, whatever the federal government does, it leaves rooms for the states to be innovators. We've seen, certainly in California, that, you know, the federal government emulates you all very frequently. You know, why are we looking at notification of breach laws right now? Because California had the initial law. States are necessarily where a lot of this gets played out ahead of time, and then the federal government follows. So to preempt state laws doesn't make sense because the states won't be able to be the laboratories of, of, of democracy that they have been in the past. Also, we want to be very careful in terms of a security freeze law. Yes, we want to see everyone have the right to a security freeze. That is very important. But we also want to make sure that if everyone is given that right, that they're given it in the right way. If we wipe out the state security freeze laws and put in, say, a limited federal right for just victims of identity theft, then the peop those of us who aren't victims but are very concerned still won't have that right. Right. So, you know, like people who receive the uh, the notice of security breach, they haven't become a victim yet. Right. They haven't become a victim of fraud, but they've become a victim of their information stolen, which right. is different. And, or people who, let's say, they lose their wallet, they haven't become a victim yet, but they can't lock yeah. up their credit. Yeah, right. it's crazy. Right, exactly. exactly. So luckily, the one bill that has that provision in it in, in Congress, there's only one bill thus far, it, 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 is, uh, it, it allows anyone to place a security freeze. In terms of whether that's going to be uh, in the final product, we don't know. But what we're telling Congress is, if you're going to do this, do it the right way. Let's follow what the states have done. Let's let states continue to be innovators. And, uh, and let's make sure that, uh, that we learn from the mistakes of the past, including like we were talking about with uh, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act and the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the problems with preemption that have come up. You know, Susanna, I want to talk about those uh, information brokers. Oh, because yeah. Because that is just absolutely uh, huge. And when we, we've seen recently about the information brokers even selling cell phones, uh, oh, records. Yes. I mean, we're yes. you can buy anything online for any amount of money. I mean, anything from a social security number to background mm -hmm. checks to information and and ChoicePoint and LexisNexis and Axiom and all these other information brokers that you find. Those are the biggies. Um, there is no oversight for these guys, and a Absolutely lot of people not. don't even know who the heck they are. And we've talked a little bit on this show about who they are, but I'm going to turn this over to you to talk about who these guys are and how they've been under the radar screen and what's needed. Well, let me just say that it's hard for me to talk about that because uh, these are completely unregulated companies. So what we know about them is what we know because of the laws that the states have passed. You know, we know about Choice Point because California had a law that required them to tell us about their breach, their data breach. Right. And so, the, you know, there's, there are companies I'm sure that we don't know about doing exactly the same kind of work, holding you know, a, a lot of information on us that 
that, you know, I we just don't know about today. And it's not just a matter of you and me and the listeners. You know, in some cases, I don't think the federal agencies know about these companies. So we're talking about uh, a, a completely new arena in terms of uh, the types of companies and the kind of information that they hold. Well, well let's we, talk a little bit so people understand. Yeah. Like, for example, I've seen my choice point profile profile uh, several times uh-huh. and what the kinds of things that are in there so people know that you know they haven't seen it and you can't get your own profile by the way you can get under the fair and credit uh, reporting act you can get from choice point at choicepoint.com you can get your work history profile for free once a year at choicepoint.com you can get your landlord tenant history and you can get your auto and um, homeowners association history. But they have myriad other things, every public record on you that they can find. Oh, they yeah. have your social security number, your kids. They have all your family members. Like you can go out like three, you know, not just my in- immediate family, but my, my brother-in-laws and my cousins. And if you pull up, you're going to find out all sorts of family members that they know about, your neighbors. And right. um, they have, you know, every... Everything. I mean, your criminal record, they have your driving record. I mean, your whole person is in these files. And we're talking about mega databases that are sold to the government. Oh, yeah, and that's the scary thing is that what we're seeing with ChoicePoint is that since all these scandals have erupted, uh, they have actually switched to a model where it used to be that the private sector was their main, was their main business. Now it's the government. Right. And when we're hearing about all of these other things going on with federal surveillance programs and what, it, it it's very mired and it's very scary. Uh, and the kind of information that they have on us, like you were saying, Mari, is so scary. I mean, if you've ever given a fingerprint over, you know, I used to be a federal employee, as you mentioned. And, right. you know, when you're a federal employee, you have to put your fingerprint in the database. I'm sure that's in my choice point file. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah and, you know, medical records, health history, all of this information that it's it's scary that anyone could have it, but that the government has it makes me personally, as a citizen, scared. Well, the fact is, is that unlike a credit report, okay, that's compiled about you, these are sold as background checks, and you, right. don't, get, you don't get a copy of those, and you can't see them before you even go apply for a job. So you have no idea what's in there. Unlike a credit report that you have the right to see it, you have the right to correct it, right? Right. You have right. the right to limit it. You're supposed to have the right to limit it from being sold and shared with others, right? You're supposed right. to give your permission. And you don't have those rights. That's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, first of all, we don't even know the entire universe of companies out there. So even if we had that right, we wouldn't even be able to check it with every company. At least we know the credit reporting agencies, but with with the data brokers, we just don't know. Well, also, with the credit credit reporting agencies, there's the three major ones, but there are myriad other resellers. Mm-hmm. So it's similar. I mean, you could take the big guys like Axiom, LexisNexis, right. and you could, because the little guys buy from them. Right. So, right. I mean, even if we could regulate the big guys, it would do a lot to change things. If we would have the right to see, let's say you and I would have, everybody would have the right to at least see our profiles in these mega databases mm-hmm. for free once a year. Why can't right. we have the same thing in um, you know that we have why not why not have right. the same rights as we have under the Fair Credit Reporting Act for these and, companies? And I think that's absolutely right. And that actually is one of the things that Congress is looking at. There are several bills that include provisions that would, at the very least, allow us to review and correct our data broker files. 
And uh, in fact, some of those bills are being negotiated right now. We're not clear where they are. But that's an important right um, that, that what we're hearing from, from individuals all over the country is they want this. This is a, a basic right uh, because this information fundamentally affects our lives. It's being sold to other companies and to the government, and it might not even be accurate. Well, you know, um, you're friends with Ed Merzwinski, just oh, as yeah. I am, you know, the United States Public Interest Research Group, and he was on our show as well. And, you know, his studies have shown that, for example, even in credit reports, 70% of those credit reports have errors. Oh, yeah. And 29% of those are enough to keep you from getting a job. So if those have errors and there's oversight, what about all those errors in our you know, and our reports from these data brokers. Which have much, much, much more information in them. And they're shared with government, and yep. they're shared with uh, potential employers. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my clients right now that I'm trying to help it was found out that there was a, uh, there was a clerical error uh, making him a, a criminal felon, okay, a felon. And it was keeping him from getting a job, and he didn't have a right to see his background check until he finally had his computer school do the background check, and we saw it, and now we are trying to correct it. But it came from all the mega data brokers, and it was sold and resold over and over again. So what happened with, like, Bill Nelson's bill was, I really, you know, I don't know what's happened to it recently. Is is he, is his bill still around to regulate the data brokers? Or well, what, there are, are we? several bills out there, and the one that you're thinking of, which is called S-500, right. is still out there. Um, it's it's been introduced and it has another, you know, we have until the end of 2006 to pass that bill. Uh, what we saw was that, unfortunately, the committee that um, Bill Nelson is on, the Senate Commerce Committee, did not take up that bill. They took up another bill, which Mr. Nelson was on, along with a bunch of Democrats and Republicans, that, uh, that was mixed, I would say. It had some very good provisions and some provisions that we would rather not see in there. The best part of that bill was that it, uh, it gave us all the right to review our credit file. Uh, sorry, to uh, our to, data broker files. Yeah, I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm 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 mixing up bills because there's so many federal bills right now. Right. But it actually gave us the right to place a security freeze on our um, credit file nationally. Everyone would have the right to do it. The fee, it wouldn't be as good as the California law. It would be determined by the FTC. But at the very least, all of us would have that right, and it wouldn't just be for victims of identity theft. And we felt that was a very important right. Unfortunately, the part of the bill that we wanted to see with information brokers, that S-500, was not included in the larger bill. Right, right. So we're still fighting for that um, because we so want to see S-500? that pass. where is Where is it now? It's in the committee. So it just ha- it, it, it's sitting in the committee. It could be taken up, but, but frankly, it's just right now there's no momentum for it. Mm-hmm. And we're working very hard to uh, get the committee to look at that to pass that as well, and then, you know, when we move forward with the process, we would have a really good model for regulating the data brokers. We were all, you know, the public interest community was very pleased with, uh, w- w- with a bill. There was actually also a House bill. There was the Bill Nelson bill, and then there was an Ed Markey companion bill in the House, and we were all very pleased. Unfortunately, right now, there hasn't been any movement. That doesn't mean that in the future there won't be. It's just that uh, the committee went with a larger and bipartisan vehicle. Okay, so why do you think, what do you think is the rationale about why, when there's been so much in the media about these data brokers, and even now, you know, with all this, with the cell phones and the pretext calling and Mm -hmm. people not knowing who's got what on us, I mean, 
what do you think it is? Do you think it's because these data brokers are really selling to the government and to law enforcement that, that they're kind of being protected? Is, you know, what is it? It's hard to tell, I mean, I, what exactly it is, but it's definitely clear. It used to be, Mari, I remember the hearing that you, you testified at, and I remember all the other hearings. There were so many hearings back then when, when Choice Point was at the very least, you know, being hauled in and made to account for what happened to testify before Congress. And LexisNexis, too. Right, right, and Axiom and all of right. those. But in the, what happened toward the end of the year, though, is they would continue to have hearings, and then they would praise Choice Point for all the good work they were doing for, to correct the problems now that they've had the problems. And it was, it, it, the, the, it, it, everything has shifted. It's shifted from something which was, how could you do that with our, this information that you have, to, oh, well, thank you for, even though you had this data breach, protecting our information now. And it's actually kind of appalling. And so things have really <laughs> shifted. And it's, you know, what, what I keep hearing in, uh, it, you know, from people is, well, if there's another big breach, that'll do it. That'll push Congress over the top and they'll have to do something. But how sad is it that we have to hope for another big breach that puts people at risk for identity theft when we have, you know, 60 million people already there? And, and, and that's what we have to hope to get Congress to act. I, so, think, I think what we have to do is we have to get one of these, uh, get uh, profiles on all of these senators mm -hmm. and send it to them and, and have somebody do some, some <laughs> long profiles with all the errors in it because I think that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. Like with Diane Feinstein, when we were able to show her that we could get her Social Security number and all this information, you know, suddenly she had an interest. So I think that's what right. we're going to have to do. Well, and I think also the more that we as individuals are calling our members of Congress, are writing in, are, are letting them know our views, that really does have an effect. And, uh, you know, we've seen that here at Consumers Union, we have several campaigns oriented toward uh, improving um, various uh, aspects of consumer law in Congress, including health care and uh, telecommunications and food safety. But our most popular campaign is on identity theft because people really do care about this. And, and I certainly hope that your listeners will become engaged, will call their members of Congress, will write to them, will go to financialprivacynow.org and, and, and get information from that site because that really does make a difference. Well, I want to tell you, you have been so wonderful to come on with us, and I want to just have you say both uh, of the websites again, because I'm going to encourage people to sign up for the newsletter at, at consumer.org. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have two websites. One is consumersunion.org, and that's our general website, which has information on all of the issues that we work on here at Consumers Union. And the other one, which is limited to financial privacy issues, is called financialprivacynow.org. Okay, and we have been so fortunate to be speaking with Susanna Montezemelo, who is the policy analyst for Consumers Union in Washington, D.C. She's joined us all the way three hours later at night, and we are so thankful. Thank you again, and I hope you'll come back on. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much, Mari, and thank you for the work you're doing. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and also KUCI.org. This is Privacy Piracy. You can see uh, our guests, our bios of, of this guest and our other guests, as well as listen to their previous interviews online, as well as podcasts. Join and uh, sign up for our podcast at www.kuci.org forward slash 
privacy piracy. That's KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And thank you, Lloyd, my wonderful engineer. You're welcome. Okay. We'll see you next Wednesday, 5 to 6 p.m. at Privacy Piracy. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.